Driving? No purchase necessary. You're listening to Radio Free Urbanism. Welcome back to Radio Free Urbanism, a podcast about urbanism and vaporware. Also, Lego sets that I got for Christmas. I got the London Lego set from my sister. You can see here the London Bridge, the giant Ferris wheel, the clock tower where the Queen lives, and of course, the White House. So uh, that's uh, that's pretty cool stuff. We love our cities here, and we know them well. Uh, I, of course, am Alex Williams, your host, uh, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Nick Laporte. I'll get Nick to say hi. Hello. And Ethan Myers. Ethan, say hi. Hello, everybody. All right. Well, I said hi, and they said hello, but that works. We all know what we mean. All right. This is this is the show. Welcome back to the show. <laughs> We're going to kick it off. Ethan's got something to share to start off with. Ethan, Ethan is actually dressed very specially for this episode. Do you want to tell us what you're wearing? So, everybody, um, I'm pretty sure I showed this off on Instagram. Actually, City Nerd called me out on this. He was like, what the hell are you wearing? Is this your spa day? And I had to point out to him that, no, this is, in fact, not my spa day. This is an L.A. Metro blanket. So it's got the L.A. Metro map on it, but it's a blanket. It's 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 amazing. I got to say that. It's just amazing. But speaking of the L.A. Metro, a lot of transit agencies this coming up, um, New Year's Eve, big event. A lot of people consume a lot of substances that make it not optimal to operate a motor vehicle. Now, systems like L.A. Metro are offering their services likely for actually pretty much not every single agency, but a lot of them are offering their services for free because they want to encourage you not to drive over this, you know, holiday that's coming up. So if you in, in if you partake in any of these beverages, I do need to tell you guys that you need to, you know, not drive and take transit. Now, a lot of agencies are extending their hours. They're making services free. I know a few cities in the Southwest, Phoenix has announced it, Los Angeles has announced it, and Las Vegas has announced it. I know there's cities all over the country and all over the continent that are announcing free services and extended hours. So just check your local transit agency. It's probably a great way to get, you know, to your holiday festivities and back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Nick, you got something to add there? <laughs> Sorry, I was. I just can't help with the sarcasm. I feel like we always end up going there. But I was going to ask, uh, is Arlington, Texas, are they going to have free... Free service? <laughs> um, I don't think that their rideshare thing is going to be free, but it's like $3 a ride. So they ha do have subsidized Uber there, essentially. So, you know, oh, there we if go. you don't have, okay. if so you they, don't have they, transit, you have subsidized Uber, essentially. There, At there's least they have that. something to be done. Yeah. Uh, official stance of the podcast is anti-drunk driving. Um, in case anybody had any we know. questions about that. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's great to hear that a lot of transit agencies aren't just doing extended hours, but are actually doing free service, allowing people to go out and enjoy themselves without the worry about being able to get home safely. So that's great news and something that we need more of. Uh, speaking of transit i've got some interesting transit stuff to share ethan if you're done with your report on new year's eve yeah it's just a quick report we just gotta let we just gotta let the people know 
Let the people know. That's right. Uh, so I've I've got something to share. I'm going to change to uh, a presentation here. So if if you're watching, cool. If you're watching on YouTube, Radio Free Urbanism on YouTube. If you're listening in your podcatcher of choice, thanks for tuning in. We'll do kind of a described video with this. So let me figure out which which screen I need to share. Here we go. And can you guys see that? It's loading. So, there we go. Okay. So what you're seeing here, this is a this is a elevated pedestrian bridge uh, over top of McLeod Trail. It's got a parking lot below it, and it heads into Chinook Center, a mall that we talked about last time on the show, a very busy mall. And uh, as you can see, this is the this is the car traffic underneath the bridge. There is this turning lane for people going into the parking lot. On the far right corner, you can see masses of cars, people circling around the parking lot, trying to find a place to go. Meanwhile, everybody here is lined up, backed up on the road, trying to get into the parking lot. And of course, while they're doing that, we're just walking along here, headed to the mall. Of course, we very easily get into the mall. It was packed, super busy. Um, and this is the <laughs> this is down to the parkade here. Uh, the escalator coming up from the parkade was uh, was closed. It wasn't working. So it was just down and you can see a lineup down there of people waiting, people waiting to get onto the elevator. Uh, <laughs> and then people getting on and off the elevator. Listen, guys, cars are just inefficient. I got some more video of people coming around off the elevator here. And uh, oh, sparkling, sparkling deer, Christmas decorations, busy mall. And then I got this shot. I really like this shot here. You've got people circling around the parking lot. It's very busy, but in kind of the reflection of the window, you can see how many people are walking by. And the number of people walking by just casually, comfortably, moving faster than the cars are moving, the cars are going to circle the parking lot trying to find a parking spot. Um, but of course, everybody here, uh, I don't know, I think it's a good demonstration showing how how much more efficiently you can move people without cars when there's footpaths and things are walkable. Uh, and of course, this pedestrian bridge, it, it goes almost directly to a train station nearby. So I thought I'd share that with you guys. Any any thoughts? Yeah, I was curious to see that that strode. I know you mentioned it in one of your videos mm -hmm. in the past, McLeod Trail, and it's just mm -hmm. insane to see it from that perspective. Like birds, not birds eye view necessarily, but just above it. Wow, it is insanely wide. It is massive. Yeah. It's yeah. incredible. But yeah, that lineup of cars is, is hilarious. And this yeah. is, the, this is that thing. Go ahead, Al, or Ethan, go ahead. I'm actually surprised that this strode right here doesn't have a double turn lane. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so actually the thing is with this strode too, there is another turn lane into the parkade that you can take further up. I honestly, I don't know why all of these people are turning at this specific spot. You can see how it's starting to back up here. People are blocking lanes trying to get into the turn lane because the turn lane is backed up into the adjacent lane and then all the way back to the intersection at McLeod Trail and Glenmore Trail. And you can see people crossing this other bridge here. If anybody remembers that short that Tom from Shifter made, this is the bridge he was talking about crossing with his bike 
where he was offered drugs. If anybody, uh, if anybody remembers <laughs> that video, um, hey, they but, were very uh, nice yeah, to him is, in the video. <laughs> they were very nice to him. That's true. This is this is the nicest, uh, or the not the nicest. This is the worst road in the city. You can see it keeps getting more and more backed up. This guy eventually, you'll see him give up uh, on trying to get into this turn lane, but is brutal. This is just a horribly inefficient way to move people around. And even on a day like Boxing Day, where people are carpooling, it's still just more efficient to just take the train. Look how many people can easily get on and off the train, just like this. People getting around so comfortably easy. um, we need we need a description for our American viewers of what Boxing Day is. I think just from oh, what yeah. I'm seeing, it's kind of just like it kind of feels like Black Friday. So post Christmas Black Friday. Yeah, basically, basically Boxing Day is yeah just Black Friday in December. It's December 26th, and it's the day when all the sales start. Um, yeah, that's that's basically it. I'm sure there's some interesting history behind that, but I See, I folks, know nothing of it. See, folks, the Canadians have their priorities backwards. You're supposed to be consumerist and then give in to all the, you know, happy stuff. They do it the other <laughs> way around. It's true. We, it's we true. actually we have our nice day. We actually have thanks American Thanksgiving, and then we have our most consumerist day of the year. That's how we do it here. Yeah, I, so it's pretty much I the mean, same. It's just different months. It's true. It's true. I mean, you guys celebrate Christmas too. Do you not have sales after Christmas? Uh usually not, no. Really? December 26th is known as the biggest return day of the year. Oh, interesting. No, yeah. So, we like, have, we everywhere have else in the store sales. is, like, kind of normal. But, like, if you look at the return lines, it's, like, almost out the door at some of these places. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. I thought you guys would have had a lot of sales as well. But we actually have them, like, right before Christmas because it's just right. it's just kind of how it is. Like, they just they want you to get, like, all your last minute stuff in. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So was sense. the parking lot full? It looked really full. Like there was people circling, yeah? Super full. Yeah, there were Crazy. people people circling around looking for a parking spot. And all I could think, I mean, the parking rides at the other train stations, right? Anderson uh, Station in particular has a really big parking ride there. Um, they were empty. Like, I don't, I don't understand why people don't just, if you are driving and you don't want to do like, your full transit route, right? Take the local milk run to the train station and then the train there. Just park at a park and ride and and, and get in by mm-hmm. the train because the, the parking there is absolutely bananas. But someday I would like to go back and, and dig into more of the data because last week I mentioned about how the, the Cadillac Fairview, how the, the landowner, um, the owner of this shopping mall, uh, Chinook Center, how they said that they valued each parking space as $18,500. We talked about that last week. And so I wanted to, I want to go back and really dig into the data of how they make that valuation. And did they consider the transit takers in that as well? Uh, it's a little bit hard to tell. It's hard to know how many people got there by transit versus driving. Uh could be interesting to have to have gone and kind of surveyed people and asked them how they got to the mall that day. Uh, it's actually that, that, that's something I might do in the future. Just thinking about it, it might actually be easier to get the data from transit because I mean, hmm. all the transit agencies have the ticket of where people get off. 
Yeah. Or at least so, they have some of the data from that. So Calgary Transit wouldn't have that data. There's there's not really any any data for where people are getting off. We don't mm. have like a uh, like a turnstile at the end or anything. Uh, oh, yours is a ver- I'm forgetting proof of payment. Yeah, yeah. So so we have like when when you get on, um, you scan your ticket when you get on the bus. But you don't scan your ticket when you get onto the train or when you leave the train. They have other like counters, right? They have other sensors and stuff that that will be able to tell. Um, but it's not like as clear as as other places. But there could be something on that, something to to look into. Just just my my I pretty sure most LRT systems are like this, like Calgary, mm-hmm. Edmonton, San Diego. They all have you know proof of payment where you tap on board the train or before you're boarding on like a little scanner yeah and it Cal- essentially just yeah it verifies it validates your ticket yeah calgary doesn't um really no no it's only so a lot of people will ride the ride the train uh and then sometimes your ticket will be checked sometimes it won't be just depends got it yeah yeah so it is that's that's a whole other interesting thing that we can get into some time about that but yeah i thought this boxing day transit thing was kind of interesting yeah and it's kind of plays on that whole black friday parking thing mm-hmm. if it's yeah. actually it's so you know, most places on black friday or even boxing day aren't going to be filled up those parking lots aren't going to be filled up Mm-mm. so it was uh interesting to see that that parking is actually getting used yeah so that probably means it's uh it's a little cheap because it's probably free i imagine right it is free yeah that's that's right yeah yeah, so that was interesting. But speaking of car infrastructure, Nick has some uh, some wonderful news to tell us. Oh, yeah. So there's this highway in Ontario. You might have heard of it. It's called the 401, and it just had uh, another expansion that's been completed near Waterloo. So this comes from Global News. The Ford government is celebrating a new milestone in its ambitious highway and transit expansion plan with the opening of a widened section of the Highway 401 in Cambridge, Ontario. And essentially, this highway has been expanded to 10 lanes wide in this area, including a high-occupancy vehicle HOV lane in both directions to allow cars with more passengers to skip traffic or for people who are just driving their car alone to drive in it anyway, because that seems to happen quite a lot. Um, But anyway, yeah, this, if you didn't know, Highway 401 is the busiest and most congested highway in North America. It's absolutely massive. I've spent way way too many hours of my life driving on it. And I'm so happy that I very rarely have to be on it anymore because I don't live near there. But when I visit, you inevitably have to drive on it. So it's uh, it's pretty crazy. So the reason why I brought this up was not necessarily because the highway got widened. It happens all the time. This is constantly, like I said before the podcast, it gets widened. They say, they clap their hands and say, yay, it's widened. It's going to be better. And then immediately they go, okay, we're going to widen it again because that's what you have to do. The classic one more lane bro. And the reason why I bring this up is it would be really nice if they had some kind of transportation, some kind of vehicle that can move a ton of people that only took up one lane. And if we could invent that and it could go faster than cars, I think we could really solve a lot of the traffic problems on the highway. Um, You mean like you mean like a uh, Elon Musk tunnel? Yeah, maybe or maybe some maybe something a little better. You know, I don't even know. What are they called? There's got to be something we could do, right? Well, so I know like there's all this work on self-driving cars. Um, So I think 
I mean, electric, we got to go electric, right? Electric, yeah. Like it's, it's yeah. clean, it's fast, it's quiet, right? Um, but then I'm also thinking like electric cars, they only carry so many people. So mm. I'm kind of thinking like maybe, maybe like extended electric cars, right? Like, like kind bus. of just extended. Yeah, yeah. Almost, almost bus-like, but I feel like like electric you could do it even like an extra long bus, especially, I mean, especially if you put it in its own special tunnel. Oh, so you know? like an electric articulated bus? An electric articulated mm-hmm. bus in its own tunnel, because that would reduce the computing power needed for like the self-driving aspect of it all. Um, and then I almost think like for the really, really busy routes, you could like plug them into each other, right? <laughs> so you could have like, like, one electric articulated bus connected to another electric articulated bus. And maybe like if the route was really, really, really busy, you could have like three or four or five electric articulated buses. But then like thinking about this, I'm like, well, but the bus, even if it's self-driving, it might kind of wiggle around the tunnel a little bit too much for my liking. And so I'm thinking if we make like... um some sort of controller, like a metal, a metal stick that it kind of <laughs> holds on to, you know. Um, you mean like a guideway? A guideway, yeah. Um, <laughs> almost like uh, you know, you know, in D anD D, when when your dungeon master is kind of like forcing you to go one direction, like railroading, railroad. You could railroad. make like a railroad. Railroad? No, 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 no. Oh. We can't do that. <laughs> we can't do that. No one would take it's, that. It's are just, you kidding me? I mean, it's. I mean, self-driving Chat, cars would, are the you, future. Would you take a train? Who would take a train? I don't oh know. my god! Did. Wait, did we just invent a train? We Ethan? invented trains. Yes. This oh my! Oh my god! Oh, we didn't. We didn't imply that they were on steel rail or on steel wheels. So we basically just made the Paris Metro. Yeah. I feel inspired. <laughs> I feel. In, I feel inspired. You're welcome, everybody. Yeah. So uh, the reason, yeah, self-driving this the, cars. This is the reason why I wanted to bring up the 401 <laughs> in this expansion is because yes, it is a perfect place to have high-speed rail, commuter rail. In this quarter, there is some commuter, commuter rail. There's the go trains. I've taken them a few times, but generally they only that's commuter rail. It only travels into Toronto in the morning and out of Toronto in the afternoon for the most part. Mm. And there's also via rail along that corridor. So I'm just going to read this this part. Um, this is just from Wikipedia. So the Quebec City to Windsor corridor is the most densely populated and heavily industrialized region of Canada. And as its name suggests, the region extends between Quebec City in the northeast and Windsor, Ontario in the southwest, spanning 1,550 kilometers, that's 710 miles. With more than 18 million people, it contains about half of the country's population and three of Canada's four largest metro areas. And the name was first popularized by Via Rail, which runs frequently. Wait, hold on. I'm just going to air quotes. Runs frequent passenger rail services in the region and its service area known as the corridor. So, yeah, a lot of people don't realize that in this it's basically a straight line. Go look at a map from Windsor, which is right across the river from Detroit, all the way to Quebec City, which kind of reaches basically the top of Maine. It's a straight line. Half of the population of our country here in Canada live along that corridor. Mm-hmm. Name a better place that would be good for, for rail. Like, so, I guess the same in the States in that Eastern yeah. corridor, right? Yeah. I just, yeah. I mean, I just want to ask a question. What's the, uh, what's the max speed on that corridor at the moment? Cause I don't think it's above 90 miles an hour. On the train. Americans. Yeah. On the train. Yeah. So I actually went up and looked 
um, at some rail service. So this is just between London, Ontario and Toronto, which is about a two hour drive. And they do six round trips a day between those two stops, London and Toronto, taking anywhere from two hours and 10 minutes. So as long as driving would or longer to three hours and 30 minutes. Some of them take three hours and 30 minutes to do that journey. It's absolutely despicable in my opinion. So to say that that's frequent is, uh, I don't know. I think that's underserved. Is that what that's for my Americans out here who take Amtrak? I just want here's a accurate comparison for service uh, uh, for services on the via rail corridor to an Amtrak corridor. Our probably closest comparison would be um, why am I blanking out on the name here? It's the service between Chicago to St. Louis. They run about the same amount of round Hmm. trips a day. And the population between those two cities, well, definitely justifiable for inner city rail is nowhere near the population that it is between um, Windsor and Quebec City. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's perfect. And I remember they've been talking about it forever, talking about getting high-speed rail in there for for the longer distances and just more regional rail. It's just, it's not happening. It's really sad. But like, that's an 11-hour car ride. If you went from Windsor all the way to Quebec City, I've done it before when I was kids doing trips, uh, in the summer with my family, it's a long drive. Imagine you could hop on a train and take that trip. How long would that take? I'm not an expert. Ethan, he's our, he's our train expert. How long are would we talking? That... Are we talking like high speed, like high international speed. standards? Yeah, like, like high speed rail, real high so speed rail. So Windsor to Quebec city, that's like, that's like from what 700 I'm, miles. I'm just using, okay. So that's about this, a little bit longer than the Northeast corridor. So the Northeast Corridor from D.C. to Boston, I believe at the quickest, is about seven and a half hours. And that's on the Acela, which is kind of, it's like quasi high-speed rail. But if you were to get that to like 220, you could probably do that in like five to four. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Easily cut it in half or less, which yeah. is incredible. You know, that not would- Not to mention, not to mention this corridor could technically use an, inter- could get an international extension through to Detroit all the way to Chicago. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. And would only add like a couple extra hours onto the corridor and probably increase ridership significantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I can only imagine there's many different forces acting against that. And that's not just, you know, political many will, but also, you know, you think about airlines and the car lobbies definitely don't want that ha- that to happen. Yeah. I can imagine Toronto to Montreal is a huge airline. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, like I said, like. Think about if, if you're not familiar with, with Canada, but like, think about it. There's obviously it starts at Quebec city. That's a big metro area. Um, Montreal, huge Toronto, absolutely massive London, Ontario. Those are huge. And there's also other ones in between there that are also quite large. It's, it's crazy. It's, <laughs> I just can't get over the fact that we still don't have like reliable quick rail. I love how you two are like the outliers of like the Canadian population. It's like, we found the two, we found the two <laughs> Canadian urbanists. Who don't yeah. live in the line. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I did grow up there, but the thing yeah. is, when you come to Vancouver, you realize that most people who live here are actually from Ontario too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. This this is why I think we need to start a transportation company called Transportation Company. And we just like anything, like our primary goal at Transportation Company is to move people. We want to get you from point A to point B in the most efficient way possible, right? We're not trying to protect the bottom line of our airline or the bottom line of our car company. We want to get you where you need to go in the best possible way for you to get there. And that's why we build everything from running shoes 
to <laughs> high speed trains and airplanes. Yeah. Right. Like it's, yeah. it's like where we just we just need to get people around. Right. We need to We're the stop. American version of Yamaha. Yeah, like we just need to get people from place to place. We'll do it all. We'll do it all. We don't care which one of our products you buy because we just we just want to move you. So that's a great idea. It yeah. sounds like yeah. it basically, uh, you know, like TransLink here in in Vancouver, just like a, you know, a transit commission, but even wider than that. Yeah, that'd be incredible. Yeah, yeah, that'd Man, be cool. Transit commissions are real double edged swords. I will say that. Yeah, that's or transit enough. agency. Like if they if they cover road work, then you're going to have the same agency that's building ambitious transit plan also doing highway widening number four, number 497. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's true. Speaking yeah. of, uh, I, I was just going to mention while we're on the topic of highway widening, we actually in Calgary just completed our ring road last week. Um, and that was like a 70 year process, but it's 10 months ahead of schedule and it's done, and I don't think it's a bad project. Um, but uh, but then on the podcast that I was listening to, and I'll try to find it again so that we can put it in the show notes. But the podcast I was listening to, the guy said, "Yeah, and there's already floating a plan for uh, an another ring road." <laughs> and I was like, "What? For what reason? For why? Like where? I I I don't know." But that's a uh, that's a ways out and uh Calgary's coming for Houston on the ring roads. <laughs> oh god. Yeah, we we want we want more ring roads. Um but uh I'm I'm curious that's something I'm going to dive more into maybe next week I'll I'll bring up our uh, our ring road and and how that works and the future and the past of it. That could be an interesting topic. Uh Nick, do you got uh, more more for us here? No, I think it's uh, enough with the the pessimism and you know the dwelling on what is not and what has mm-hmm. been instead in Calgary. So we'll, I'm going to give it over to you. Yeah, I've got a positive story to share with us today. Uh, a man in Calgary uh, set up a Christmas skate day with a bunch of other people who happen to be alone or lonely on Christmas Day. So that was a really nice community event. It wound up on the news. There's not a ton to share about this or to say about this. Other than just to say this is kind of like an urbanist of the week kind of person who who were really just glad to hear uh, that somebody did something in the community that brought people together. I think this is an often overlooked aspect of urbanism is that it's not just the built environment that we're concerned with, but also the building of community and the communication with your neighbors and with the people on your street and with other people in your area. Of course, the built environment can do a lot to encourage people to get together, uh, but it's always delightful when people fight against that built environment and use things like the internet to bring people together. So I just wanted to share that as a little bit of positive news and Christmas cheer. I like it. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, and, I love it. It's great. Yeah, it's wonderful. Um, and and with that, I'll send it on to who's got uh, this oh, back East to me? Midtown. Is that back to you? Back to me, yeah. Nick, coming <laughs> in with the you, news. Nick. Newsman Nick. Yeah, so I was in Nick's the- Nick's really taking over this episode here, guys. Sorry, guys. Yeah. We'll pass it over to these, <laughs> these boys after this one. So I was in New York City in the summer, got to spend some time riding, riding bikes all over the town, and it was- 
fantastic. But uh, one section of the city that I only wrote, wrote briefly was the East, East Midtown Greenway, uh, because much of it's still in construction and was in construction when I was there. But what, what's just been finished, this is from Daily News, the East Town, sorry, East Midtown Greenway promising new waterfront access to open Tuesday. So this is a couple weeks ago. And this uh, this has opened up with a new park and another section that's just been finished from East 53rd to East 61st. Um, and it's bringing the city close to its goal of 32-mile loop around Manhattan. So uh, when I was there, I rode the west side, the uh, – what's it called again? It's the Empire State Trail and the Hudson River Greenway, which is on the east, east, sorry west side of Manhattan. And I think that one stretches like – 16 miles or something you can ride the yeah, whole that thing one's pretty long it's super long so they're obviously they're working to complete this whole ring around manhattan so you could walk run ride a bicycle whatever around the entirety of manhattan on a separated completely separated pathway this is like it's not like most of the time you're not anywhere near cars some portions you're near like a highway or something but really it's a separated track and this new section looks beautiful i saw this on the micromobility new york subreddit that I follow and somebody had written it and filmed it and it looked really nice. And seeing these pictures here from daily news, it looks really nice too. They've got some uh, really nice interlocking brick on some of it, benches for people to sit down and separated, separated cycle tracks with uh, lanes. And it just looks fantastic. I'm really happy with what's happening in New York city and surprisingly. So I have a video I'm working on right now and it's like I mentioned last week, inspired by uh, Ethan's, uh, lists that he always likes to post on his YouTube channel. Hmm. So I'm doing a top 10 micro mobility cities and New York city isn't on that list. It's on really? my list, but it's not yes. <laughs> on the bike score on the walk score website list. It's actually number 12, I think, which is surprising. Walk score is, it's definitely an interesting site. Like, I mean, like from a lot of my videos, I've tried to kind of lean against it with some other data, but like, I mean, it's, it's a good like baseline, but I mean like, you know, it, just giving something a number really kind of takes a lot of the nuance out of the discussion. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, everybody, you know, you're going to have these walk scores, but it doesn't it doesn't get into the nitty gritty of what works for you in your personal life and in your situation. Uh, it's cool to get like an idea of, oh, OK, so like if I lived in this area, it should be a pretty easy time to get around via transit or bicycle, whatever. Mm -hmm. But until you're there um, and experiencing it for yourself, it may or may not uh, paint like the perfect exact picture of what you're it, looking for. I will say it gives you a solid baseline of what you're mm -hmm. looking at in terms of walking and then to a lesser extent cycling and transit. Because, yeah. I mean, there are some areas where it's like, how are you giving transit such a low score here? Or like, I don't know about that bike score. It looks a little high. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got I put, one. <laughs> I put in my old address on there where all I had was painted bike lanes right outside my apartment next to a 55 mile an hour strode. Mm -hmm. And then I would have to cut across grass to get into the city. And it gave my bike score a 48. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, okay. So I've been doing a lot of research, obviously about this and something I've noticed too, is that it, it, I don't know the actual nitty gritty. It seems like the people who did the bike, bike score is actually here at UBC and Simon Fraser. I think they did a lot of work on the algorithms and stuff, but it seems mm -hmm. like it doesn't really take into account 
as much what type of bike lane it is. Because, yeah, for example, one of the cities on the top 10 is Long Beach, California, which I was like, that's surprising. So then I went and actually looked at the LA area and you're like, wow, you turn on the bike thing on Google Maps and you're like, there's a lot of bike lanes. And then you actually click on the street view and you're like, ooh, uh, I wouldn't want to ride here. Like some of them, it'll just be worn out sharrows or, or really sketchy. Uh, like gutter bike lanes beside a, a street you could tell is definitely very high speed traffic. So it was mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't say, tell the whole story, Long Beach, right? Long Beach is okay. I mean, it has some good infrastructure, but it's very mixed. Like, yeah, you will run into Sharrows and stuff like that. The real cycling city of Los Angeles, Santa Monica. I love that mm. place hmm. for cycling. I got to check Nick, it if out. If you ever go to LA, you've got to go to Santa Monica to cycle there. It is like it's really a good micro mobility location. All right. Well, once uh, Bright Line West opens up, we can do oh, a little man. field trip. Huh? Oh, yeah. What do you, can, what you, do you guys say? Your, you can have your two hour high speed rail followed by um, Metrolink for an hour and a half pulled by an F-125. <laughs> well, you know, I did actually, I did take transit from Ontario, California to LAX once. So I have, I have taken transit in that area and specifically a train. So, uh, Metrolink, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, my sister actually used to not live too far from from the station in Ontario. So, my, I, I uh, what were you gonna say, Ethan? I, just my favorite thing is just how like everybody here is hearing Ontario, and they're just like, huh? Yeah, different and Ontario. Like, we, yeah, we've Ontario, mentioned California. both Ontarios. We're talking yeah. Ontario, California, hear, and then they also hear Metrolink, and then you have people from California. Ontario and St. Louis, just like, is that my Metro link? Is <laughs> which Metro link? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I want to mention Calgary's bike, uh, walk score here. Okay. So if you just put in Calgary, Alberta, it'll stick the thing right in the middle of the city, right in downtown. And it says Walker's paradise, which I can agree with that. Calgary's got, you know, decent, decent sidewalks, especially if you're downtown, uh, the things you need, they're going to be around you pretty easily. Excellent transit. I'd say so. If you go downtown, there's a lot of buses running around. You've got two train lines access uh, right there. Uh, so it's, yeah, not bad. But the biker's paradise, this gets to exactly what you guys were saying about what kind of bike lane. So in Calgary, we have a very extensive multi-use pathway network. If you get onto that, you're you're golden. You can get pretty far uh, on that multi-use pathway. But uh, once you get off of it, the the cycling network uh, leaves a lot to be wanted. There are some protected paths uh, and there's some very not protected paths. And then there's sometimes those blue signs that I like to say, just say you're less likely to die on this road than that other road. So please use this one, I guess. But it's not it's it's not a bike path so that uh, I, I, I think that goes into exactly what you guys were saying about. Uh, how accurate is it? I don't mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. I'll say at least for walking and walking, it's it's great. I'll, I'll say that it actually does do a really good job on walk scores. Yeah. Like the name suggests transit and yeah. cycling. It needs some work, but I'd say it gives you a solid baseline mm-hmm. on what you're working with. I yeah, also it, it me personally, I go off the American grading scale system of that by kind of going like A, B, C, D, F of like. So, like, at least at my school, anything under a 60 was an F. 60 to 70 is a D. 70 to 80 is a B. Mm, right. Or not 70 to 80. 70 to 80 is a C. 
80 to 90 is a B and then above a 90 is an A. If you really want to go for like actual like grading standards on that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think I I, I think that's fair. Uh, Nick, do you want to tell us what your uh, walk score is? In like my neighborhood? Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to hear it. I want to hear it live on the show, Nick. Please yeah. tell us. <laughs> my walk score <laughs> uh, here in Vancouver is uh, it's pretty nice. So my walk, I'm not, I'm going to start with the, the transit score. So my transit score is a 75. It's respectable. Mm-hmm. My yep. bike score is 91. Very good. And my mm-hmm. walk score is a 100. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's A plus. Yeah. It's, uh, it's inc- okay. So I have a story about this that happened the other day. So I walk. So I, I obviously I'm huge into micromobility. I commute to work on my bike or my scooter every single day. Um, but I do the majority of my movement is actually walking is on my feet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was walking to the grocery store the other day, which is very close. It's, I don't even know how far it is. 500 meters. It's super close. I walk there, I pick up my groceries and I was on my way back and my mom called me, you know, Christmas thing. And she, she's like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm just getting groceries. I said, I'll call you back when I get home. And then two minutes later, I called her. She's like, oh my God, that was so quick. And I'm like, yeah, this is what a walkable city does. You can, <laughs> you can <laughs> walk. It takes a couple minutes to get your groceries and that's it. You know, and where they're from, uh, back in Ontario, if we lived in the city, like in London, most of the time you drive. You know, they take anywhere from, you know, five to 20 minutes to do that. But where she lives now out in the country, that's like a whole, you know, hour tr- round trip at least. Yeah. Like to go yeah. get oh, your groceries 100%. in the car. And uh, it, yeah, anyway, it's just, it's incredibly nice to live in a walkable, a walkable place. I'm very yeah, fortunate one, to be here. One of the huge benefits of living in a walkable place is it changes up your whole grocery shopping tactics. Like, oh yeah. Living, living somewhere car dependent, you have to shop like once a week or once every two weeks, it sucks. You have to buy in bulk everything. You live near your grocery store. You're buying like every few days. You can get fresh produce. And it's not any more expensive than going once a week. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something you hear all the time from people who are car dependent and are quote unquote anti-bike, anti-transit. They're like, I don't, you know, how am I going to get my my grocery shop? It's going to be absolutely massive. There's no way I can carry that on a bike. If a, yes, you can. Cargo bikes exist. You can carry a shit ton of groceries in a cargo bike. But B, of course you don't want to go all the time because you're used to doing this giant trip that takes forever and it's a pain in the ass. Like, yeah. I don't love going grocery shopping, but I was thinking about this yesterday when I went grocery. I'm like, I don't mind it. Like I yeah. walk. It's a pleasant walk. I walk by a park. It's nice. It's like, yeah, I get on my feet for for a few minutes a day. It's totally fine. It's not like yeah. a huge headache like it would be if I lived in a car dependent place. Yeah. So I think there's, you need to experience that. First, and that's what I always try to tell people when I get into disagreements or I'm having conversations about people who are a bit resistant to this type of thing. I first ask them if they've ever been to more walkable places. You know, good examples would be in Europe. I'm like, oh, have you been to the Netherlands? And then bring up examples of how their life is different and why it's different and how the built environment changes their experience day to day. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, it really does yeah. make a huge difference. And and it doesn't... Uh, it. You make fewer grocery lists, I find, in a weird mm-hmm. way, right? You just kind of say, oh, I need to pick this up. I remember growing up, we lived pretty close to our grocery store. It was a pretty easy walk. We had to cross, uh, you know, a, a busier road uh, to get there. But growing up, it'd be Saturday and, you know, I was 12 years old and my dad would say, oh, we need some whipped cream for the waffles. 
here's 10 bucks, go walk to the grocery store and pick it up. And that's what we would do. It was easy. Same thing, the place I just moved out of, I would walk five minutes to the grocery store. It was easy. And I'd pick up whatever I needed and then I'd be back at home. It was a half hour total for like a shopping trip for me to walk around the store, grab the basics that I needed each week and walk home. It was mm-hmm. easy. <laughs> All right, Alex, what's that walk? What's that walk score looking like? So <laughs> my current walk score uh, is let me pull. So it is somewhat walkable. So 61, uh, some transit 43 and bikeable 65 uh which is kind of interesting that the the bike score is higher than the transit and walkability because i don't super feel like it is there is technically the street that i'm not far off of i'm kind of off of a main road here but that main road is technically one of the bike routes in the city i think it should have a full-on proper bike lane the right-of-way is wide enough and i'll i'll make a video about that sometime uh transit some transit i honestly feel like that one should be a little bit higher than it is i'm a half hour walk from a train station um and uh, i'm a two minute walk from a bus stop that will get me downtown pretty quick so it's uh it's not it's not awful but also i'm somebody who's willing to walk a further distance than a lot of people. So there's that too, right? Uh, depending what your your personal preferences are and what you're comfortable with with doing. What about you, Ethan? Uh, I'm going to get cooked here. <laughs> <laughs> so my walk score is car dependent. I have a walk score of 32. Ooh. I have a transit score of some transit with 26. Yikes. And I have a bike score of 31. Oh, However, I will dispute two things on this list. I okay. think the transit score could probably be a little bit higher. My closest bus stop is like three houses down. I'm currently living in a single family home, mm-hmm. living with my parents. I'm fully free to admit that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, my closest bus stop is about three minutes away and it has frequencies of about every 30 minutes. However, if I go to my bus stop, that's about a mile away, I can get every 15 minute frequencies all 24 hours of the day. On top of this, surprisingly, one of the weird things with Vegas is the farther away you get from the strip and downtown, the better the bike infrastructure becomes. Really? So I live on the pretty much on the edge of the valley in Henderson. Mm-hmm. And pretty much every strode here has painted bike lanes, which no one uses. You're insane if you use them because always right next to the strode is a double lane multi-use path, essentially. Hmm. So each side of the strode has multi-use paths. And they're amazing for cycling on because, once again, you're not getting any interference from cars. It's easy to pass pedestrians on them. And overall, it's just, it, it's a really comfortable riding experience. You don't really, you're not really getting interfered with cars pretty much at all. Yeah. And so- these trails can take you to pretty much all essential places near me. So it has multi-use pathways and a painted bike lane? Um, yeah, so the strode is like, it's it it's probably one of the most horrid strodes you can imagine. It is six lanes and it has painted bike gutters. Wow. And then there is so much clearance. So one thing you guys need to know about Vegas strodes is that they are enormous. 
They make every other strode look like nothing. I'll have to pull up clips for next time. But Vegas strodes are a different breed of strode. They make every other city's strodes feel like nothing because they're that wide. But it, yeah, they're so wide that they pretty much are able to put multi-use paths on the sides of them. And then actually give them like pedestrian friendly features like shade trees and other things like that. Because out in the desert, shade trees are pretty much your only way of surviving on these trails yeah. when it's 110 degrees outside. Huh. Well, that's, that's interesting. And I'm looking forward to uh, more Strode reports from Vegas. Yeah, yeah. It'll, it'll it'll make you feel grateful for where you yeah. live. Oh, it's <laughs> incredible. You know what? It, it'll, it, it just makes might. Calgary look wonderful. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm not far off of uh, the Strode McLeod Trail, which was basically the inspiration for starting this my channel, uh, Humane Cities, and uh, so I've got I've got some fun stuff, uh, Strode Strode related things planned for uh, for 2024. Uh, so we'll be we'll be exploring more strodes in the future. And one thing, as we wrap up this conversation about our walk scores and bike scores and transit scores and stuff, one thing to note is it is about what works for you, right? It is about, you know, like Ethan, you're saying, you know what, actually, I feel better about the bike ability than than what this is this is giving us. Could just be cope, but you and know. It, but you know what, do you know what though? Like <laughs> If, if you're making it work for you, right? And same thing with me, feel how I feel about the transit. I'm like, you know what? The transit could be better. I know it could be better, but what I've got, it's working for me. And I, I think that's the, uh, that's the bottom line. But we've got some listener mail. Ethan, if you want to take us into our first bit of listener mail here. Yeah, let me, let me introduce this. So this piece of listener mail comes to us from Walter. Um, so this message starts out with, hello, Radio Free. It's, it's an email. It, uh, it comes from our good viewer, Walter. I already said that. But it starts out with, um, special thanks to Ethan to introducing me to this podcast via his content. Thank you so much, Walter. Much appreciated. My name is Walter, and I'm a student from rural NorCal. And I wanted to bring some news that I heard about in California about rural areas in general. And he links to a um, proposed project in California to build um, normal rail from San Francisco all the way through Sacramento into the foothills of, you know, the Sierra Nevadas, Um, which actually there is quite a bit of that built. But he said, I am curious on your thoughts on this project. Will it be blocked or watered down by NIMBYs? Can it be upgraded to high speed rail? How can TOD be prioritized, encourage ECT? This this is a long email, by the way. So really big thanks to Walter because there's a lot to break down in this. But I also wanted to bring up that Sacramento is one of the few LRT manufacturing facilities. And yes, it is from Siemens, Walter. And to probe your thoughts on domestic rail production for a city with a struggling transit agency, LRT system monitored and run hand and not machine. What can Sacramento do to improve its transit while supporting, or supporting domestic manufacturing? I think it would be cool to see more American and hopefully rail unionized related drop, jobs. My broader concern to bring up is how walkability and transit-oriented developments can fit into more rural areas. I live in Grass Valley, a small town in the foothills of California outside of Sacramento. He's car dependent. He lives more than 45 minutes away from anything, and his parents have been super commuters for a long time. However, his parents have been taking advantage of remote work, like a lot of people have post-pandemic, you know, pandemic, and the local towns have completed some street conversions to you know, be more car 
car or less car oriented and more, you know, have that road diet. You think some rural areas can continue to keep a good economy with recent trends while developing for more than just cars. So actually, um, one of one of the most um, I Sacramento is a very interesting area. I honestly I kind of have I kind of love it and hate it at the same time. I want to bring up the point first on rail into the foothills of the Sierra Nevadas. So we already have the Capital Corridor in California, which is a train that runs essentially from San Jose all the way just a little bit past Sacramento. So there's already rail on that. I don't know if you if uh, Walter was mentioning like a rail like a regional rail corridor for Sacramento or anything like that for just like you know like kind of more of a go option or Metra or Metrolink. But it it does look it does look promising, Walter. I'll say that California is definitely more you know positive on building more transit and trains. It's one of the states that really has been very progressive on this. And I don't think it'll be NIMBY stopping any sort of, you know, inner city rail. You're more likely to see interference from the freight companies on that front. But I mean, it's it's definitely interesting. Sacramento is a very interesting city. Um, I don't know if you know this, Nick, Alex. Um, Sacramento actually does have a light rail system. Okay. In fact, it's just about as old as um, TriMet in Oregon. So it's like an early 90s light rail system that was built. And it kind of got built because of a lot of its – a lot of its use uses old rail right-of-ways. So it was kind of built on like a super cheap budget for Sacramento. But it still is – it's still – I mean, SacRT has definitely had its struggles, but it's uh, it's definitely – it punches above its weight for a city of its size. Hmm. Hmm. I know I just went on a full tangent there, but it is it is very interesting seeing transit in Northern California. And I mean, I, I'm sure Nick and Alex can also give their takes on living in a rural area and, you know, transit connections that way, too. But yeah, what do you guys feel about like transit <clears throat> in rural areas or like road diets in rural areas? Well, I, I mean, I'm no expert on it, that's for sure. But I've listened and read a lot from... Chuck Marone of Strong Towns, and that's kind of his bread and butter. So if you really want to dig in to what can make a, a stronger community and especially a small town, definitely look at his content uh, to find the details. It's all in there. Um, but as far as transit, that's an interesting piece. And I think, again, like the problem was mentioned by Walter is when you have a small town, which is very walkable, the problem is when it expands and you have the suburbanization happening on the outskirts. I actually grew up in a very small town. Um, in Southern Ontario, not far from Windsor, not far from Detroit, um, called Kingsville. And it was, you know, a very old town and it was very walkable. Um, almost anywhere you lived in that, that town, you could walk to any other part of the town. It was small enough. Uh, but since then I, I, I visited last summer, I noticed how it's changed over the years and how much it's sprawled out and how that is going to become less and less viable for people. Cause there is no public transit transit to speak of other than, um, the buses for accessibility, which, you know, are on, on call basically to get those buses to your house type of thing. So I, I honestly don't know. I, I wouldn't know how to address that in small towns. Yeah. I think it's important. Um, like I've lived my whole life in a big city. I've, I've been here forever. I guess I went to school a little bit. I was in a small town. I've got family on farms and family in small towns um, but the situation, like what people need there is different, uh, and it, and it continues to change. And so one, one thing, and I've wanted to bring this up a, a while and I don't have like a fully developed thought around this yet, but, 
one thing we hear people say a lot is, you know, people will say, oh, well, you know, our town was built on, on the car. And so we don't, we can't, we can't use trains now. We can't change to trains just all of a sudden. And, uh, and I, I, I appreciate that. And of course, often an urbanist will come along and say, you know, um, yeah, except it used to, you know, it was originally built on trains and which is also not totally, uh, not totally untrue. Uh, I'm trying to share, uh, something here quick. So this is a clip I have of a, a town that, uh, that my family lives in. This is Leader, Saskatchewan. Um, and here's a, a train going by and they kind of do the switcher and then they move over there. They're moving trains around early in the morning. This is the main street here. Uh, big wide strode, right? Like this is not, <laughs> this is not what you think about with, with urbanism. Um, but of course, while the town was originally built and founded around this train, specifically getting crops to market, um, today it is made largely around cars. Uh, and, and they use those cars to get their crops to market. They have some interesting artwork. Um, but, but things change and times change. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll stop sharing this screen for a second here while I pull something else up that I want to show you. So that's Leader, Saskatchewan. There's stuff going on there. There's the train there. There's people living their lives there. Um, but I want to show you another town that my family is also from that's not far from Leader, Saskatchewan. And, um, and it is called, it is called Mendham, Saskatchewan. Um, and, uh, and so I'll, I'll pop this on the screen here. So you see Leader, Saskatchewan up here and, uh, and then Mendham down here. Uh, Places change. Uh, this is actually the town where my grandparents were married. There was a community hall right here that has been torn down now. Most of these homes are abandoned. The old school is now like a wrecking yard. Um, and of course, it's still surrounded by farms. But as technologies have changed, uh, things changed. A lot of the people in this area, the people who live in Leader, a lot of my family there, they will do their grocery shopping in, um, they'll, they'll go to Medicine Hat, actually, which oh, is wow. right down here. So they'll do their grocery shopping in either Medicine Hat, Alberta, or Swift Current, Saskatchewan. So I think in, in the rural context, it's important to remember that, uh, that things do change and that I'm a guy from the city and I don't have a lot of insight on what the people who live here should be doing with, uh, with, with their city. And so I think it's really important, like really, really important that the people who live in these places, if you see something that you want to see done differently, that like that needs to come from you because I'm not going to have valuable insights to, to give to somebody in that situation because that's mm -hmm. not where I live. And that's not a situation that I'm familiar with. I've seen it. I've been to those places but I don't know what to do to help make those places somewhere that you want to want to be. I think we should have train stations there uh, for passenger rail, but 
I, I don't know what the right way to do everything there is, you know? Now, I will say one thing is that the, I'm pretty sure I'm not, I'm like trying to like calculate like in my head, like specifically like where they are in California. But from mm-hmm. what it sounds like, it sounds like they're pretty much on the eastern end of the Central Valley in California. Right. And California is a very populated state all yeah. over. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. even unless you're like really, really out in the sticks of California, then California is very heavily populated, even in its rural areas. And so I think that this area probably actually does have a more than likely shot of actually getting some sort of transit. I mean, even if we look at, you know, the greater Los Angeles area, for example, there's a city that I would say is probably fairly comparable to cities on the edge of, you know, the Central Valley, and that would be Lancaster, California. Hmm. I don't know if you guys know anything about Lancaster, California, but it's kind of like, it's basically the last city in the Mojave Desert before you reach the mountains that cross over into the Inland Empire. Hmm. So it's sprawl that went all the way out of the actual, like, temperate part of California and into, like, the actual desert. But Lancaster actually did do some road diets to its city pretty, probably like five or ten years ago. And recently it popped up on my feet again. And you can see that a lot of these young trees that they planted had grown, you know, to be large shade trees right down the center of the city. And it overall just looks like a better area for pedestrians to be in. It's not perfect. There's still quite a bit of parking there, but it's definitely an improvement over a five lane strode right through the downtown. Mm-hmm. And I'd say that, yeah, doing those kind of road diets can already improve your, you know, your small town feel. Mm-hmm. But a lot of these cities, too, in California, especially a state that's very progressive with its funding for supporting even its rural communities, could definitely provide some sort of inner city bus service there or, you know, some, you know, some sort of, you know, transit, even if it's not super frequent, as a way to just kind of get rid of that car dependency. California overall is just, it's just very progressive in supporting even its smallest communities. I mean, it's not a perfect state. It has its flaws, but it definitely does have that, you know, it does have that mentality of like, we have to support even our rural communities. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I do think, like you mentioned, California has the same population as the entire country of Canada. And the areas that I was talking about as rural are rural Saskatchewan. That's like a very like that's a that's a totally different thing. Yeah, we um, could be talking about a city of twenty to thirty thousand people here in California. Right, right. Whereas I'm talking about a place with seven hundred people and another place with you know three. Right, um, and so uh, yeah, it's definitely context specific. There's somebody I'm going to call out um, a listener who I think may have some interesting insights into this, and that's the rural urbanist. I know yes. I, I, I know they're listening. So if, if they want to comment and on the YouTube video or email into us, let us know what, what are some things in small towns, in rural areas that might work well uh, in this specific situation or in other situations. Uh, that could be some valuable insight. Uh, and if you want to email into us, you can do that at radiofreeurbanism at gmail.com. Nick, uh, any anything to add? I don't know what, what else to add other than the problem, I think, just stems from sprawl in the first place. You know, if, mm-hmm. if you don't have that sprawl, you generally don't even need the transit for the most part. Not at all, but for the most part, it's not needed. Most things can yeah. be done on foot yeah. or on a bike. 
Yeah. Yeah, micromobility is going to be huge for rural communities, mm-hmm. and I think that should be de- that'll definitely be a topic topic yeah. in a future episode. Yeah, actually, absolutely. Actually, speaking of micromobility in rural communities, I was chatting with uh, one of my distant cousins. We're like third cousins uh, at this family reunion in Saskatchewan this summer, and he is in Regina. And he gets around mostly by e-scooter, actually. And that was kind of something interesting interesting to find. We both went to our farmer family. And then my third cousin, he's riding around on his e-scooter. And my dad says, oh, you know, Alex has one of those. And uh, and so then then we were talking a little bit about micromobility. And I've got another cousin who apparently is involved in some micromobility stuff in Saskatoon. So there's stuff, there's stuff happening. Uh, and you're right. I think micromobility is... Uh, a big thing and and a big help to, in any community, honestly. Um, but speaking of mobility, something a little less micro is rail. Tuk Tuk uh, on YouTube, uh, Tuk Tuk followed by some numbers, mentioned uh, wanting to know what we think of different rail options. And this was underneath Jen Hall's comment, which talked about Transpod, a Hyperloop project, uh, or a, it's like a one of the Hyperloop companies that has a uh, project proposal for Calgary to Edmonton Hyperloop and even has a memorandum of understanding with the government of Alberta, which a memorandum of understanding is basically like, a, hey, we want to do this thing. And the government's like, okay, Nito Bodito, thanks for letting us know. Uh, it's not really anything. It's just kind of like you're being made aware of. It's of like this the very thing. first step you take. Yeah, like the very, very first step. It's like, hey, just so you know, here's here's a letter saying what we're doing. We're doing it. We're we're doing it. Uh, but they're not doing it because uh, hyperloops are absolute nonsense. Uh, <laughs> it's like we <laughs> have we just have hyperloops. <laughs> we have Speaking of hyperloops. We have a beautiful example of how they don't work. So (laughs) I live in Vegas. We're the home of gadget bonds, basically transit that doesn't Mm -hmm. really work. And we just got wonderful news this week that Hyperloop One, one of these Hyperloop companies just went completely under. I think that they were initially owned by like Virgin, you know, the company Virgin. But then they Mm -hmm. sold them off. Mm -hmm. They became their own company. And now they're going under. They're selling off all their assets in North Vegas. And this just goes to show that after 120 years, we still can't get the vacuum train to work. You know, this is the thing. Like, it would be super cool if if we could. You know, that that would be very, very cool. But there are technologies that work here here and now and i think a lot of the time we get too caught up in the vaporware and in the promises of the future oh no 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 we don't want to build any nuclear reactors because what if we figure out fusion and now we have all of these fission reactors right it's like okay like hey we have like this technology we know it works like there's something we already know works and that's high-speed rail we know it works we know it can be done affordably we know it's safe and efficient, right? Um, and so when we get caught up on all of this extra extra nonsense, I don't know, maybe, okay, cool, maybe do your experiments and stuff, but I think we need uh, projects that like that we can take seriously, you know? 
Yeah. And it can be done now. It can be done now. They've yeah. got a high they've got high speed rails in, in China that go how fast? Over five hundred kilometers an hour. I know there's one that they're building right now in Japan. Same thing. Over five hundred kilometers an hour. Stuff. Yeah, now, insane, now which is isn't even necessary. It, it it absolutely isn't. But I mean, we can definitely build the normal high speed rail, which isn't gonna, you know, balloon to the insane costs and is going to provide a pretty, pretty decent solution for transit. Yeah. Mm. Heck, yeah. you don't e- you don't even really have to go into high speed rail for a lot of corridors. You can honestly just settle for 125 mile an hour services, mm-hmm. and you'll have good competition. I mean, the yeah. Northeast Corridor does it. Brightline East does it. It's it's already a good option. I mean, why not? Yeah. So, what do we think of different rail options? Well, it really depends on context. High speed rail. Uh, there are certain places I think that would be great, like Calgary to Edmonton. That would be fantastic. Uh, Windsor to Quebec City, that would also be very fitting. Uh, But within the city, why would you build high-speed rail to get from one end of Calgary to the other, right? We've got light rail transit. We could even do metro that that does things like that, right? Um, And then local things. Uh, Well, you can use trams, right, to to get around. So it's really 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 context-specific. It's really just using the right tool for the right job, you know? Like, sometimes yep. you can go overkill, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, Baltimore has a heavy rail subway, if you guys didn't know that. Um, but they also have light rail, too. And, you know, sometimes they do a better job on one thing. And, you know, sometimes another mode does something better for something else. But, you know, yeah, really, yeah. it's right tool for the right job. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with going overkill, honestly. In my mind, you know, well, like it's better to go, it's better to go bigger than go smaller. Like I would like, if you're considering like BRT versus LRT, obviously I'm going to tell you to go with LRT. Yeah. That's also yeah. because I'm a train nerd. Yeah. Nothing trains against are buses. Fun. I love buses. I don't know, like, I don't <laughs> want to know what to tell you people, but like trains are cool. Everybody loves trains. If you're, yeah, if you're considering two <laughs> options, if you're considering between like, Light rail, heavy rail, or like light rail and bus. Always go yeah. with the bigger one. Always Just, go with the bigger one. Mm-hmm. It's fun. It's fun. Yeah. I, l- I love the idea of just a commuter rail, but also just, just rail within cities that doesn't have to be fast. Like, for example, I remember when the Up opened in Toronto. Uh, that's a Union to Pearson Express train that just mm. goes from the airport to downtown Toronto. And I think the average speed on that thing for the entire ride is just around 60 kilometers an hour. It's not very fast. I think it's top speed is like 140 or something, but like that average speed, a lot of cases is going to be faster than driving, right? It's going to be more convenient. It's going to be more comfortable than driving. So just having those options widely available just completely changes the landscape. Yep. I also think, sorry, Alex, go, go ahead, Ethan. Oh, I was going to say, if you can, if you can go big in a lot of areas, Definitely go big, then go small. Because I will say that a lot of cities in the U.S. have this problem where they just go with light rail when they should have gone with heavy rail. Hmm. Yeah. So, for example, that I want to use for this is that Los Angeles has both the A-line and the E-line. And they're light rail. And they piss me off so much because they have to deal with, you know, intersections and stuff like that on corridors. That could definitely justify a bit more than just light rail. Yeah. Yeah. And I think something important with rail, no matter what type of rail it is, it has to have signal priority. Like what the fuck? 100%. Like in Toronto, 
Why is your fucking train in the middle of the city getting stuck in traffic? This is yeah. absolutely ridiculous. That's nonsense. It's right? literal yeah, nonsense. It's, it's insane. <laughs> it drives me insane. Totally, totally defeats the purpose of of having it on on rails. And I know Edmonton has had had some issues with their rail. And I've got I've got some issues even just with Calgary's uh, bus rapid transit, the the Max lines. I know there's one specific spot where a lot of the time it'll the max line will have a red light and i'm thinking why why aren't <laughs> yeah. we going through this there's not like there's no reason for us to be stopped right now um yeah i believe in full transit ultimate signal priority authority that's that's my uh, primary I'm motivating belief i'm more radical belief. than you guys i'd prefer full grade separation if you're going with full, full on I rail mean, transit of- obviously i'm yeah i'm ambitious here you know guys i just yeah. i just want everything to be a 80 mile an hour metro you know that's and just, vacuum that's sealed <laughs> <laughs> 80 Wait miles an hour platform screen doors nothing nothing else can work you want to build a tram no yeah yeah <laughs> i love trams though i i think trams are severely underrated um and uh, and should be implemented more but that's that's some thoughts that i'll have to they, save for a future episode last thought on this for me is that if you're running light rail or a tram if it has to go in a tunnel it's probably not worth it just go with the metro yeah. at that point that's just that's just my final take on it <laughs> that might be controversial the philly people may not like me the seattle people may not like me but if you have to run it in a tunnel just run heavy rail. Yeah, we'll we'll have to do a rail rail uh, tier list rail. sometime. Um, but We're be uh, fighting each other on stream with that. <laughs> um, but I think uh, we might be about ready to wrap it up, uh, unless Nick has any last minute things he wants to throw into the conversation. I have some things, but uh, you know what? Yeah. Uh, okay, we're going to go ahead. with this one. So this is a video okay. I put just at the bottom that we didn't actually include this in the video. So this is from a YouTube channel called uh, Japanalysis. And this is something that just popped up. I am I love Japanese culture and, and and everything about it. I just love it. So uh, I, often, <laughs> I often get <laughs> a bit of an otaku myself, but I often get recommended Japanese, you know, uh, culture videos on my YouTube channel and uh, or my YouTube homepage. And this video is titled Angry Japanese Freakout. Uh, dash Gaijin's fault or not. So uh, I'm going to just, uh, maybe I'll share my screen here, figure out how to do this again. Uh, there we go. And so basically this, what's happened here is there's a fella who basically got in there the way. Go. You got it? Okay. Yeah. Um, didn't got in the way of something happening. So it seemed pretty innocuous at first when you're watching this video. And uh, there's this, tram slash train coming down the street somewhere in Japan. And you see coming around the corner beside the train is a, a guy on a bicycle with his arm up in the air. Um, and Gaijin just means foreigner in Japanese. And as he comes around the corner, people are yelling and screaming at him, freaking out. And they start swarming him uh, and berating this man uh, for getting in, a ra- in the way and ruining his shot. So in this video, I learned about <laughs> basically the foamers of Japan and how intense they are about trains. And uh, I just want to say that's that's uh, pretty interesting to me. And I didn't yeah. know that it was such a, a big thing there. I thought what's it was. The, uh, yeah, go ahead. What's the Japanese word for foamer? I don't know. I don't know. That might be that might be important for the conversation. <laughs> that's so funny. That is because, uh, I mean, 
here, it is obviously no like you'll f- find people like myself taking videos of trains and you know watching them and excited to see them and stuff. Um, but uh, those pictures you you showed there. So if you're listening to audio only, honestly, check out the YouTube video as well and subscribe to us on YouTube at uh, at Radio Free Urbanism. But uh, yeah, they like it. Looks like. People are taking this stuff pretty seriously. Yeah, they about ruined getting their, the right shot. Yeah, this guy ruined their shot, and they were pissed. So this guy yeah. actually turned into a meme. Uh, people, you know, photoshopped him into different places. They photoshopped their their own face onto him. People started mimicking the whole <laughs> shot, recreating the shot by you know getting on a bicycle themselves. But apparently, this guy owns a taco shop. I can't remember where this is in Japan. Um, he, and at first, his his shop got review bombed on Google and other places. Uh, but now has rebounded and now his his taco shop has become kind of a pilgrimage uh, for people who love the meme about this guy uh, in front of this train. <laughs> honestly, honestly, got to say this. As a rail fan myself, pissing off the foamers is the best thing you can do, especially the freight foamers. <laughs> if, if you see anybody foaming freight trains, then they're probably going to have one of the most interesting personalities you're going to hear and generally not in a good sense. So actually not, not to turn off all freight foamers. There's a lot of them that are that are still good people. But generally, whenever I get criticism about my rail takes that, like, I don't know anything, it's someone with a picture of like a BNSF SD70 mock saying I know nothing about railroading. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just I'm just going to say. Um, speaking of, of rail fans, we actually, on the Canadian $10 bill, we have a train. We have the Canadian. Oh my God. You guys have an F40 on your money. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'm sold. I'm moving. I'm moving. (laughs) You got a Via F40 on. (laughs) Dude, Canada is a cool place. We're awesome. We're awesome here. Our money's Um, fake though. I got to say that. Yeah. We also, (laughs) we also have the Canada arm on our $5 bill. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so we're we're into space too. See, the space toilet, guys. This is this is what I'm saying. Space and trains. Everybody loves trains. Everybody loves space. And I'll show you all my driver's license here as well. I'll kind of cover up the personal information, but we do have a dinosaur on there. So on <laughs> the Alberta driver's Alberta license. Thing. Yeah. So yeah, everybody loves space. Everybody loves trains. Everybody loves dinosaurs. So. Uh, I th- and I'll I'll leave it at that. Uh, but alas, I guess that's all for today. Yeah, we're running um, to our end time here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks, thanks for uh, thanks for coming back to the show, guys. It's been four episodes. Yeah, thanks, guys. This is the last episode of the year. So Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy New Year. Um, remember to eat your vegetables. Uh, don't stick too hard to your New Year's resolutions. That's a lot of pressure. Unless, of course, it is to make your community Any, a better place. Plenty of Red 40, guys. <laughs> or, or unless it's to watch every new episode of Radio Free Your Exactly. Urbanism. That's, uh, that's a good yeah. one. you got to stick to that. Do you know what? We're going to be here weekly, and we hope you are too. You can follow me, Alex Williams, at Humane Cities on YouTube and Instagram. Nick, where can the good people find you? I'm at Nick the Door at most places, or my YouTube channel is Nick Laporte. And, and for Ethan. me, you guys can find me at Climate and Transit on pretty much every platform, except for Twitter, which is just Climate Transit. Excellent. Wonderful. We love that. We love you guys in a strictly uh, 
online, Platonic. social media, very <laughs> distance. We don't really know who you are, but we do appreciate your comments and we love the emails. So keep those coming. Shoot us an email at radiofreeurbanism at gmail.com. And with that, we'll sign off. Thanks once again for joining us. Thank you, everybody. And just want to let you guys know this show is made possible by listeners like you. For more episodes, find us out at your favorite podcaster or on YouTube at Radio Free Urbanism.